Welcome back to another episode of the Shift Drink Podcast. I'm Ed Rudisell. I am still in Asia. I know this has been a number of episodes that I've uh, I've been here in Asia, and, that, and Bangkok has been my home base. And man, I've had a hell of a time, and I'm getting ready to leave the city. But before I did, I'd be remiss if I didn't have one of uh, one of my guides and that has uh, helped me out a lot in the city and and showed me where to go, given me recommendations. Um, you know. Uh, and I had hung out one of the first nights I was in Bangkok. So my, my guest today is uh, Sylvester Fedor, and he is, well, I'll let you tell what, what you do. Thank you, Ed. Um, my name's Sylvester. I'm the GM for Mikala Bangkok. I, I managed to find out about Ed coming to Bangkok because he was in Singapore before this. <laughs> That's right, I Ronan. was. That's right. Ronan, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, and and McKellar, when you, you reached out to me and said, you know, I'm with McKellar Bangkok, I was like, what? I, that's not fair. I don't have a McKellar at home like that I can go to, and you guys have two locations. So we have like um, the original location in Ekamai, Bangkok, which is almost six years old right now. And for RE, we do more like um, Thai and Asian craft beers in RE, and it's one year anniversary this month, actually. Oh, really? Yes. That's cool. So that's really close to where I'm staying in, in Sapang Quiet. I didn't know about that initially, but you told me about that. But I wanted to have you on the show because... I think people, um, particularly, and, and you know, we're guilty of this as well. I have a Thai restaurant, and you know, like people come in and they're like, "Oh, we want the Thai beer," so they, they get Singha or you know, beer sing in here, um, or Chong beer maybe. And there's a really big craft beer explosion that that started here. I don't know how long how long ago yeah. did that start? Um, I can't give an estimate. Like I'm, I only shifted to Bangkok about seven months ago. Okay, so you're new to Bangkok. I'm quite new, but um, before this, like I, we know about Birvana, so they started distributing beers into Bangkok about seven years ago. Six, oh wow! Seven years ago. Okay. So they were the original guys who brought in Stone IPA, Deschutes, and a lot of the West Coast American beers. And the company I work for now, McKellar, and they have Hop Session. They started importing beers about five years ago, same time as McKellar. Well, that's huge. I mean, because the craft beer explosion, even where I am in Indianapolis, it's not, you know, it's maybe nine years old. So, I mean, I, 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 that's not really that much of a, a disparity in the time frame. And what you're getting here is insane. The quality we've been tasting through, we've got so many glasses on the table right now. I don't even remember what everything is, but where we're sitting is all, this is all locally produced, except for the McKellar stuff that we have yep. on the table. So the, with Thai craft beer, the laws are a bit iffy right now. A lot of people still brew illegally. So we're not gonna mention what beers we've sure, today. Sure, you're right. But they're also like the bigger <laughs> Although people. we're sitting in a restaurant and it's on a chalkboard. <laughs> um, oh, no, the, never mind. They erase some. They're, they don't want you to know. <laughs> yeah, like let's not talk about them too much. But there are some bigger um, people who brew Thai beers, but they brew outside of Thailand. Okay. So those are the legal ones where you have like the tech stickers that you see on the can over here. Uh, yeah, I noticed that. They have the uh, kind of excise sticker that we, uh, Americans would be familiar with across the liquor bottle. So a lot of them brew in Cambodia, uh, Kingdom Breweries, or... Interesting. Right now, a lot of them are moving towards Vietnam. So you were just in Hanoi. I was just in Hanoi, yeah. I, I didn't, unfortunately wasn't able to get in, any episodes accomplished in Hanoi, but mm-hmm. um, perhaps I'll do an episode just solo to, to talk about the scene there because I really had a great time. But there was, I, I did see uh, craft beer happening there as well. So with craft beer, um, it's in almost every single country in the world right yeah. now. Yeah. 
And for Vietnam, you know, they can make the operational cost a bit lower and they help to ship the beers over to um, Thailand, which helps a lot of the bigger companies. So for us, um, RE, we actually buy some beers from Civilai, who actually brew beers with Heart of Dark, uh, sorry, not Heart of Dark, Pastor Street. Don't kill me, guys. I'm so sorry about this. <laughs> Uh-oh. You just lost your job. So, uh, well, you're quite young. I mean, you're 10 years younger than I am, but, you know, you've been doing this for quite a while, but you said you've been living in Bangkok only seven months. Mm -hmm. You were based in Singapore, and you're from Singapore originally. Uh, but how did you get started in the beer scene? Because you didn't initially start in hospitality, right? Or did you? Um, so I studied hospitality. I actually worked in hotels okay. in China and Australia as well. Oh, you worked in China? Okay. Yeah, I was in Ningbo for like eight months. Okay. It was a very interesting experience. My Mandarin is very limited. Yeah, I was going to ask. I was going to ask. <laughs> but for craft beer, I started as... I went to Smith Street Taps in Singapore six, seven years ago as well. They, that's when it started. And that's when I started drinking pale ales, IPAs, double IPAs. Mm. Before that, I was a cider fan. I, really? I love scrumpy ciders, nice and flat, you know, a lot of flavor as well. See, I'm still, like, trying to, like, it's, I, I know it's so hypocritical because of the rum people that come in and be like, oh, I hate rum. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, I drank five gallons of it in college and now I hate rum. It's like, well, yeah, you had Ron Rico and... And so, but I'm in that way with cider. Like I had like the really cheap crap in college at one point. I drank too much one night and it's, I'm really trying hard mm -hmm. to accept like the new craft ciders. Cause there are some really beautiful ones out there. Um, and it seems like a really big growing market. It is, it's like different um, apples that you use, different yeasts. And then some people do aging, some do cloud, cloudy cider, some do filtration. So. Mm -hmm. I always believe in the craft side of things, not just for beer or ciders or even for spirits. There's something for everyone. Apart from tequila, I <laughs> always have nightmares about tequila right now. Yeah, yeah. You say everybody's got the one, right? Yeah. You got the one thing. Yeah, you can get over that with, with the one good night of craft cocktails. So you studied hospitality in school, but then you made the jump, you know, into, through hotels. But you, at what point did you move over into the craft beer side, like as a career? Um, for actual career, about two years ago, Young Master Ales, um, one of the highest rated craft breweries in Hong Kong, the founders actually approached me in Singapore asking do I want to help them distribute um, and sell their beers in Singapore. They, I knew Rohit from a while back because I actually went to Hong Kong. I went to the brewery, I had beers, I chatted with this person who was serving me beers. Before I left, he passed me the name card. Oh, wow. And it was the founder who was actually serving me beers. So, I mean, Young Master have started from very humble beginnings, and they gave me a person who had not much experience in sales, but obviously just knew about drinking beers and selling sure. beers. Well, obviously did something right. It, uh, yeah, I mean, like, maybe... And you're a, still wearing your Young Master shirt today, so... You always, know. <laughs> you know, lifetime brand ambassador, that's what I'd like to say. So I did that for a year, and they opened a craft beer restaurant bar in Singapore called The Guild. So it's like 20 tabs as well. They do modern comfort food. Um, Chef Vinny is an American-Italian, so there's nuances of where he's been from, but as well as using products from some Singapore, like frog legs mm. and pig brains as well. Yeah, man, I ran across the frog legs a lot. I, lo I love the, the amount of frog. The, Singapore was really interesting. I know we talked about it with, with Ronan, and we... we touched on it a little bit with, with VJ talking about uh, 
Veronican food, but just, you know, I didn't talk about that. I mean, the Chinese food is ridiculous, man. Like heading through Chinatown and like the markets and it's, this whole trip has been a dream, you know, I don't want to go back. I'm just going to be a permanent, uh, travel podcaster, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> you know? If that pays the bills. Why yeah, not, it doesn't right? pay anything yet, so I have to figure out how to monetize that. So, hey, is Young Master sponsoring anything yet? <laughs> Rohit, Kingston, if you hear this. <laughs> but yeah, like, I'm um, after Young Master, so I help my wife, Emily, who does the Bar Awards as well. So we And it's huge, so we should pause for a moment to give props to your wife, because mm-hmm. Bar Awards, um, I've mentioned it several times, uh, primarily because it's happening right now, mm-hmm. um, but uh, on the on my our Facebook page and Instagram page, we've mentioned it a couple times in the past few weeks, and it's a really big deal. Um, it's arguably more important than the 50 best bars in Asia. Uh, like it's the bar awards seem to be quite quite uh, respected, and so that's it's a pretty big accolade. I mean, big props to Emily and her partner, Tron, who has been doing this for five years already. It originated in Singapore, and they've expanded into Bangkok, to KL, to Hong Kong as well, and Macau, actually. So I know they're looking to open up in a few other Asian countries, but it's something, you know, by the industry, for the industry. They have silent voters. They have three rounds of voting, and the final round is Really? Gone. They do. So the first round is actually by the public, and okay. then um, the public help narrows it down to the top 10. Oh, that's interesting. And after that is um, each country, actually, Tron goes around to each country a couple months before the awards and gets up to 50 people in the industry. And then they can be the ones voting for ah, the winners. Okay. So you cannot vote for your own bar or right. for a bar that you have um, something involved in. Sure. So like for me, I work for Young Master. I couldn't vote for the guild. I worked for Smith Street Taps, the craft beer bar. I couldn't vote for them as well. So it's a very interesting concept. Like, you know, the, it's I mean, very it's hard like, to play favorites. Yeah, it's like Michelin, right? I yes. mean, you know, you, you just have to do well and hope that the inspectors or the judges come in and, and like what you're doing. And so we, we talked about it a little bit with, uh, you know, in previous episodes about Singapore being very international and, you know, being this hub of Asia. And I knew that already because... Um, one of my prior guests, um, Anna Marie Segoy, is one of the partners at Le Boutier in uh, Cambodia and Phnom Penh. And we talked about all the alcohol um, coming from the West or East or anywhere, really, goes through Singapore first. Um, and so as that, you know, obviously that, that scene makes sense. But, like, now that you're, I mean, not now, you've been in craft beer, but, so, but you are now in Bangkok, though. You made a jump from, like, where, like, kind of, it's a very established scene. Everybody, it's growing. The rate is growing actually quite quickly, and it's getting quite pricey to get rent. And so you've made a huge jump. I mean, culturally, there's a really big jump between Singapore to Bangkok. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and just seven months in, what, how do you feel about it? I mean, was um, Bangkok has been a very amazing experience even up to now. Like, like you said, I've been here a couple of months. I'm still learning every day. Like doing even importing beers as well, importing anything into Bangkok, it's a headache in itself. <laughs> I think importing anywhere is a headache. Yeah. No, like I, I'm going to say this about the Singapore and the Singapore government. Like, I can get beers from Hong Kong, 
um, shipped over to Singapore and then paperwork and licenses completed and into my owner um, to the bars in eight days oh wow that is amazing that, that, that doesn't happen in the US either I can tell you that um, for Bangkok you know you need all the licensing and paperwork and the labels um, design three weeks before you actually ship the beers in okay so my wife Emily actually helped the company translate Chinese labels from Taihu from Taipei just so we could get the beers over in time for Seabrew, which just happened last week in Bangkok as well. I'm glad you mentioned Seabrew because I was actually absent. I was in Hanoi during that time frame, which is a bummer. I, I, if I would have known these things, right? Like, I, I didn't know any of you until I came here, you know, a little over a month ago. Um, I didn't meet anyone. If I would have known, I could have planned around a lot of different things, like the Bar Awards in Singapore and Seabrew. But uh, explain Seabrew and what happened here last week, or this shit, this week. <laughs> I mean, you know, just a few days ago. Yeah, so Seabrew just ended last Sunday. Uh, it's like an industry and people get together, different breweries and people who sell equipment or key kegs. Uh, Charles, who's the organizer, he does this Seabrew once every year in a different country. So before Seabrew, one or two months before, he has a Asian Beer Championships, which started last year in Singapore. All the breweries are welcome to send any beers they want into different like IPAs or stouts or sour beers categories. And then from there, he invites judges from different countries. I think almost 50 as well. Oh, wow. So imagine tasting 300 beers. In yeah, so my only experience with that is kind of looking through um, regulations for the Great American Beer Festival, which is like, I, I have the app, right? Like I use their app, the judging uh, criteria app, which I recommend anybody out there that's confused by beer and beer styles to download. It's the, I don't know, I'll look it up here in a minute. But <laughs> I, I can't remember what the uh, acronym is. But it's, you know, there's so many different categories. They have to split it amongst so many different categories to be able to judge a beer with its peers. Mm -hmm. You can't say, well, this double IPA is better than this milk stout. It doesn't make any sense, you know? And <laughs> Go ahead. Like, that's another award as well, like the Beer Judge Certification Program. Ah, found it. Here we go. BJCP. Yeah. So, <laughs> we yeah. both found it at the same time. Um, we mean, have the, our phones out. Like, what was it? Yeah. This is something that obviously is recognized around the world, and it's used for the beer judging. Mm. It's a lot harder when you're six hours and 200 beers in. Yeah, your palate gets really tired. I mean, when I do a rum tasting or any liquor tasting for that matter, I try to cap it at like five mm -hmm. because your palate gets really exhausted. And so, I mean, that, that's a lot of work. Were you, I know you were there repping uh, several different brands, but were you also judging? Uh, or are you no. even allowed to say? I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not judging uh, for any competitions this year, but definitely for next year, I've been invited to a few already. So I'll be bouncing around Asia and then testing out 300 beers in two days. Wow, that's insane, man. I mean, that's, like I said, I, my, my experience with it is very limited, but I've been to several beer festivals and it's just mind-blowing. And I'm not really good at spitting. And so uh, <laughs> usually after about 20 samples, I'm not really sampling anymore. I'm just getting drunk, <laughs> you know. But yeah, like we'll go back to Seabrew where... Um, a lot of the um, Asian brewers as well, you know, they've gone to a few of us distributors, try to get their beers in. And people obviously fall off the wayside because craft beer people are sometimes a bit lazy or, you know, they, they don't get beers available in time. Right. Or they yeah, try to sure. brew something a very last minute mm. where there's like, hey, you know, two days before the event, can you get my beers into Thailand? Unfortunately, it's not possible. 
or we air freight beers over to Thailand as so well. So the event is held here in Bangkok? It was held in Bangkok uh, over last weekend from Friday, Saturday. There are after parties and brewers parties in different bars around Yeah, Bangkok. you were just, uh, yeah, I came back from Vietnam and I saw that you were at McKellar and RE and I was, I looked at the time and I'm like, motherfucker, he's probably already drunk. And I was like, it might be too late to go over there and I don't know if I can handle that after that flight. But so, uh, is that event held in Bangkok every year, or is it change cities? Uh, it changes cities. So last year was Singapore. This year was Bangkok. They've they always release the next year dates or the country the last day of the festival. Oh, so where's next year going? Next to year's be? in Taipei. Oh, Taipei. Exactly. That's gonna be pretty cool. It's fun because there's a lot of like interesting and good stuff coming out from Taiwan right now as well. Like shout out to Taiwu. They've done this beer that's a 9.9 percent lemon tea. Really? Yeah, that's one it's of It's like the a things. Long Island tea beer. And again, you know, we, I don't, we often talk about cocktails here, and one of the things that has really absolutely floored me and that it makes me um, quite envious of, of anybody living in this part of the world is that the access to some of the fresh ingredients that you have, we just simply don't. Uh, we can occasionally get some of them, but they're quite expensive, and it would be cost prohibitive to, you know, use lemongrass or certain kinds of tea or pandan. I'm gonna miss pandan the most. Like, I think when I go back home, that's the one thing I'm going to miss the most because it's in so many cocktails, so many beers, so many, so much food that uh, I, I've, I've learned, you know, a little bit about Thai pastries while I've been here. I've been staging a little bit with my, uh, with my aunt at uh, her, her shop, Maliwan Kanom on uh, Soyari One. I have not been there yet, but I definitely do want it's to. It's so good. Well. I was just there this morning, and uh, yeah, having she doesn't speak English really, so I'm having to just get yelled at in Thai and uh, try to figure out what what she's saying. And I've learned I've learned some Thai words the, the hard way. <laughs> but you know, again, that's making its way into the beer as well. And so, you know, it's again a lot of our listenership is in the West. You know, we're getting a lot of listenership. Um, although, <laughs> side note. Thank you very much to uh, Drink Asia, Drink Magazine, for giving us a shout-out of, like, top alcohol podcasts to listen to because I was really flattered that I would be included. Um, I, I really don't track who listens and where they listen from. So that was um, – it was quite amazing. Um, our mutual friend, uh, John Go actually sent that over to me, and, and I found that out. So that was very cool. But the um, – a lot of our Western listeners don't know – kind of what beer is being produced here because if it doesn't make its way into the United States or the EU, you know, it's kind of hard to f- figure out what's going down. So, like, how how do we figure out who the top brewers are, you know? is I mean, is, is Seabrew kind of that vehicle? Seabrew um, definitely helps because there are a lot of breweries in everywhere in the part of the world as well. Like, you know your global explosion of craft breweries in the US. Sure. But for Hong Kong, it's Hong Kong is like a tax-free haven. So alcohol is not taxed apart from wine. I might be wrong, I can't remember. But in the last five or six years, 40 different craft breweries and cideries have opened in Hong Kong. Wow. And you know that helps them to actually push beers out to different parts of Asia, which what we talked about. Um, Singapore is always the hub where people like to stop by. Maybe because also they have um, the country has higher spending power versus a lot mm. of other Asian countries. Sure. 
Yeah, I read that it was the, the it's the busiest port in the United States. Or not, I'm sorry, United States. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, Singapore is in the United States, folks. Know your geography. Um, no, the busiest port in the world, which was insane. Like, it's not the largest, but it's the busiest. Mm-hmm. Like, more shipping goes in and out of Singapore than anywhere else in the world. And I was really floored by that. So, yeah, um, well, it's funny. So, I, I guess I can ask this. This is totally off the record. You don't have to answer it. Um, so when we talked with Timo Jansa a couple of years ago in Amsterdam, because Amsterdam has a lot of really cool alcohol, and they tend to get it first mm-hmm. in, in Europe. And I asked why that was, uh, or one of us did. It could have been Arthur. Um, and he said that because they were kind of the Singapore of Europe, and that very often a few cases fall off the, uh, fall off the truck. And so they, they would make their way into Amsterdam first before they made their way into anywhere else. So do you see that happening in Singapore? Uh, probably not. <laughs> but more for, I think this is more relevant to Bangkok where... Really? I wouldn't think for things fall off the wayside, but we actually are blessed because we are Mikkeler and we are the first Mikkeler bar in Asia. We have the clout where brewers are willing to send beers to us. That's and we awesome. can be the first in Asia or even the first outside of the U.S. to have beers like this. So um, you, again, you're downplaying like your role here in Bangkok mm-hmm. because, but you're like the GM for McKellar at like two two locations previously, three. Yep. Um, and again, I, mean, I think anybody listening to this show is probably pretty well uh, familiar with McKellar. Mm-hmm. I mean, there aren't locations in every country in Asia. There are not locations everywhere in the West. I mean, this is a very unique place to be and to be, uh, and and the place where, uh, well, the McKellar in uh, Tonglor, where I met you was huge. Yeah. I, it was so big. I, I really wasn't expecting it because most other places I've been have 15 seats, 25 seats. There's like hundreds there. Like, I agree when um, Ekamai, our original outlets, it's almost six years old. So, like, the bosses, uh, Jacob and Wow, they've known Miko for quite some time. And that was the original outlet that they opened. And I guess they got a really good rental rate, which is why we have a huge house and a garden. Yeah, right. So, it's a little off the beaten path. And when I looked at the, like, Google uh, Maps for walking, which has not been entirely reliable for me here in Bangkok, I had... Yet last night it tried to take me through a military installation, and uh, so that didn't work. I was like, uh, <laughs> the guards are looking at me. I was like, don't worry, I'm not going to try to walk across here. But yeah, when I found your place, I'm like, I, I'm not sure I'm going on the right street because it was very residential, it was very quiet, there were no cars, and then I walked up and there was this huge beer garden. It's you know, an it oasis. Just, it's just we go. bustling with with people, and you know there was. Falang, or as I've mentioned in previous episodes, that's the word uh, Thai is used for foreigners. But there were a lot of Thais there. Falang, you know, other Asian people kind of hunting it down. Because that is a quite busy area for international travelers. It is. Like, I mean, two streets outside of us, it's where the highest rental yields actually are based on Oh, really? So where you will find a locker room and stuff like that, that street is scary. But we are in a bit of a residential area. And I mean, at the same time, we follow the laws where we don't serve alcohol between 2 to 5 p.m. So that's something that's based in Thailand. Um, yeah, I noticed that when I went to the 7-Eleven, which, again, for Americans, it's going to sound weird when I say that. But 7-Eleven is like Starbucks here. It's like every 300 feet, there's a, a 7-Eleven. And yeah, well, I went to one to buy a few beers on the way back for the evening one night. And they're like, no, 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 we can't sell this to you yet because it's 4 o'clock. 
I'm like, what? And they're like, we can't sell it to you until five. It's something about not wanting students to drink after they leave school, so... <laughs> I don't know, man. It's pretty wild, yeah, though. Let's not comment about this, right? But, but it's, there's there's ways around it, right? Like, I mean, we went to some pretty pretty local like roadside stands. You know, we, we when I encountered this first, I was in Chantaburi, mm-hmm. way out of, of the city. I wasn't in Bangkok at all, um, which you know, home of like the best durian in the in, in Thailand. So it was it was great. But hey, you know. Is anybody doing durian beer? Or has um, it been tried? I know there are a few out there, but I've actually not tried it. I know actually, where we are right now. I actually served a durian beer about a month ago. So really, the owner's not here. We couldn't. We can't ask him right now. That's interesting. I mean, it makes sense. And again, that cycles back to what I was talking about. I'm really jealous of like some of the the quality of ingredients. But you know, there's also the other kind of ingredients that you have to um, consider when bringing beer in to make craft beer. Um, whether it's at home in Thailand or abroad in, in uh, Cambodia or Laos, um, but you can kind of bring barley in, malted barley or what. So is that happening? Where Where is that happening? Where? How is that product making its way in? Uh, this extracts? one, I'm not really sure. I, sure. I know a lot of them, they do use the malt and the grains and they grind it themselves here. Oh, that's wonderful. There are one or two companies in Bangkok. I met someone, Hazeby, six months ago. He brings in all these products, raw products, into Bangkok. So for these home brewers in Thailand, they actually do really nice beers. Like you say, with fruits, we get fresh fruit here. We don't get pasteurized purees. Right, yeah, and that's and what we have to deal with. I mean, like, I've been eating passion fruit mm-hmm. or uh, sawalot, if you are Thai. I'm learning, I'm learning my Thai. Um, I mean, it's insane the, how easy and cheap it is to get that. And we pay a ton for frozen puree. So the last beer I had, um, Sea Brew had an after party just last weekend as well. So they were serving a lot of Thai craft beers, home brews. I had this guava sour ale. It was actually one of the better beers I've tried. Guava sour? Yes. That's actually one of my, so, <laughs> you, you know what Thai is called, guava? I have no idea. Falang. Falang. Oh. And it, it, it's, so the, it, I, I think it's funny. I don't know why that particular fruit got the name Falang, but yeah, because um, we've been drinking the juice everywhere we stop. Like, and that's what's beautiful. You know, you walk down the street and it's like, oh, hey, you want some fresh juice? There's coconut, guava, mm-hmm. you know, lychee, longan, like rambutan. It's it's it just kills me here, <laughs> you know. But the, heading back into like the, the craft scene, so like you're with McKellar, really, really, really powerful. Uh, I wouldn't say powerful necessarily, but a very big, recognizable name, right? I mean, yes. you're not Anheuser Busch or <laughs> or InBev. I guess it's not Anheuser Busch anymore, is it? That's Belgian now, InBev. We are fully independent. You can talk shit. Let's it's okay. Out, I don't yeah. think anybody at InBev is ever going to sponsor the show. <laughs> you know, there's no risk there of, of burning bridges, but. But, uh, you know, as you know, that's a, a, a very recognizable brand. Like, as you alluded to earlier, you have, it gives you a little bit of buying power and people are reaching out to you to be able to bring more things into Bangkok. So how do you make the decisions of what to bring in? Because you do have a great mix of customers between Ari and Ekamai. So for Mikkeler, um, they hold two global crop beer festivals every year. So MBCC happens in Copenhagen, uh, first in May, and they have another beer festival, Mikala Beer Celebration Tokyo, which has happened obviously in Tokyo for the last two years in Shibuya. So with these two, um, for 
Copenhagen, they have like almost 150 different breweries, you know, that they partner and they ask them to send the beers over. And same as Tokyo, they get more of the Asian beers. For me as the GM, I travel to these festivals with um, Jakob and Wow, the founders for Mikhail Bangkok. And we talk to the brewers, we talk to the founders of these companies. And I was like, hey, you know, like we really love your beers and we are based in Bangkok. Would you be happy to send some beers to us? A lot of the times, people are going to say no because majority of the craft brews that come from Europe or US towards Asia, it sits on the ship. Uh, right, it yeah. takes six to eight weeks and the beers start degrading the moment they leave or they're in the keg. You can say there's cold chain, but there's always going to be a temperature variance somewhere out there. There's always going to be a break in the chain as well. Uh, in the sure. For Mikala Bangkok, we actually air freight 80% of the beers towards wow. Thailand. So how long does that take? Uh, we've done a takeover with Lavik where they keg the beer on a Friday, and the next Friday it's in our it's bars. On tap. Yeah, it's wow. on tap here as well. So obviously a lot of back-end work goes into play where we need the licensing, we need the paperwork of the beers so that to get approval before we send the beers over. And because of that, we managed to get a lot of beers, like Sloop from US, uh, Grim, which you tried. Yeah, man. So that was really lucky that you invited me over that night. There was like the big Grim takeover mm-hmm. uh, at, at McKellar in, in Ekamai, and it was like, what, 20? Maybe not that many. I don't know. It seemed like a lot. I think we had like 12 beers on tap, and 12? we have like another uh, 15 beers in okay, bottles so and cans. It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was quite a lot. We. I drank sours all night. I was so happy. I am a fan of sours as well, and they they were the this was the first time they've ever shipped out of the U.S. Really? The first time. This is from my boss, so I quote him. The first time they sent it was to New Jersey. And this is the second time they ship beers outside of the New and York. To Bangkok. And it's to Bangkok. So we actually do have a contract and clause with them where we have to sell out all the IPAs within like two or three weeks. Okay. And to be honest, we are out already. Yeah, I was going to say, that at the rate that you guys are selling that stuff, you have to be out. It was right? nuts. It's like, I mean, people love craft beer here. The market is growing. It's There's 10 million people who live in Bangkok. And wow, so much more people on the outside coming into work as well. Sure. Yeah, I think a total metropolitan area, I saw something like 14 million, something mm-hmm. like that. So, And that's why I think people don't realize in the U.S., um, you know, there's this perception, I think, that, you know, that this is, you know, a developing country and, and all of these things. But, you know, we're in a city that's larger than New York City. Um, you know, it's there's skyscrapers, there's major international business, there's major international, and like all of these things. And I always try to dispel these rumors because I love this city. I've always loved Bangkok, and I think I'm even more in love with it now after this trip because I've connected to like-minded people. You know, last time I was here, you know, it was kind of really before the craft beer or craft cocktail explosion. Mm-hmm. And so now there's a, I, I found my people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've been at the same bars every night and, you know, drinking the same cocktails and, and exploring this local spirits and, you know... Um, and I know that I'm usually drinking more spirits, but you really showed me around when you guys did the Grim Takeover, and we went through quite the gamut of, of, of brews. So do you do that often, bring in, like, kind of a, a takeover of 12 taps? We do. I think, on general, we do have, like, a new brewery that comes every three weeks. 
So oh, wow, really? Uh, we have like, there's always a separation where there are some beers where we bring in in a bigger bulk. Mm -hmm. So example for Mikkeler, they contract brew and they brew in everywhere in the world. It's only in the last couple of years sure, that they right. actually owned a brewery in uh, New York and San Diego. You know, so let me stop you there because I think that is an important point worth mentioning for, for those of us. And I'm assuming that a lot of our listeners know about McKellar, but perhaps they don't. So maybe give a little bit of the background of the origin of how that started out and with the kind of the, the quote, gypsy brewing style of McKellar. So Mikko like started brewing in Copenhagen and in a warehouse or something. And after that, he just like started, he won awards for the beers he brewed, which was Beer Geek Breakfast. So it was like an, a stout. So it's like really sweet, it's like tastes like waffles and caramel. Mm. And from there, he started collaborating with brewers around the world where, you know, he'll go, come with a recipe and work with them and make a beer. But that's what the idea of the gypsy brewing is, where he doesn't physically own a space. And that way they can create different beers at all times everywhere in the world. Right. So he's like, so it's not necessarily a collaboration. He's mm -hmm. using other breweries, equipment and yes. time. But there have been also, it's also led to a lot of collaboration. It has led to a lot of collaborations with, um, in the US, in Europe. So the Spontan series, which is like the sour beers, where they do double, triple, quadruples, hexadruple series. They, um, this is actually done in Belgium. And we always, or even for them, like I, I've seen what beers are being brewed next year. Obviously, I can't share. Oh my this, god! Come on, you know I'm gonna a, ask. It's, it's a very like <laughs> fruits, obviously ferment at different temperatures, sure, and different yeah. sugar levels as well. So this is something that they're always working towards. And for Mikkeler, they always believe in what has not been done yet. So they do the craziest things all the time. Same as a zero IBU IPA, a mm. 1,000 IBU, and they have a 3,000 IBU IPA coming so is that, out. Is that measurable at 3,000 IBU? I'm going to be honest, no. Right, yeah. I mean, I've always heard that like it, at that point, you're kind of just throwing a number out according to your palate. Yes, but at the same time, it's... That's like bitter melon, dude. <laughs> like, you know, you it eat is, it. it is, yeah. But... I want to know how many IBUs bitter melon is. It's that, really, that's a flavor that I have not become accustomed to yet. But it's really fun, you know, trying all these beers. And at the same time, for Asia, we always, when we go to Copenhagen to meet the team again, we bring back fruits and snacks, you know. Sure. It helps to inspire them to, you know, maybe do something different. Mikko, the founder, he actually flies to Bangkok three or four times a year. So we do see him. We bring him around Bangkok and Thailand and obviously like whatever ideas he can bring back you know maybe you can do something and a different beer they do often come to bangkok maybe about four times a year um so why bangkok um you know there's obviously in innumerable choices across the globe um and this is why again i really love this city and i think it gets passed over because people in the West kind of live in a bubble and think that, you know, everything coming from Europe or um, the United States is like the be-all, end-all. But, you know, obviously, um, Bangkok was a major market to hit and it was targeted for a reason because there's two locations here. Um, so, like, why? Do you know why? Maybe, again, you don't have this information. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I don't really know sure. fully about why we have more than one. But to be honest, it's... Like the founder um, of Mikola Bangkok, um, Jakob, 
like he's from Copenhagen as well, so maybe that actually helped in the first place. Yeah, sure. And with that, it's you know he's close to Mikko, and Mikko really likes the country. You know, I mean. Yeah, that's you, I guess what I was asking. Like, like you've been to Thailand as well. It's yeah. not just Bangkok. There's, you fall in love. There's yeah. so many beach resorts as well, and. Well, the whole country is quite diverse because between you know it's not a giant country. But you've got, you know, in the north, mountains, chillier weather in the nighttime, it would be hell even in the morning. And then, you know, in central uh, Thailand, where we are now, and then you go down south, which I, where I think a lot more Europeans would probably be comfortable, or, or not comfortable, but uh, familiar with, mm-hmm. like uh, Samui and Phuket, uh, Krabi. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, there's like a really big, there's a wide range of climates and styles of drinking everywhere you go. And so I could see, I'm not, I can't see, I know for sure that I can see why I'm in love with the country. I can see how somebody from Copenhagen would completely fall in love with that as well. But, you know, from going from that to like having one of the like largest um, kind of beer trade shows mm-hmm. in Asia, like that, that's a big step to go from like, you know, drinking chong or beer sing to you know having i mean so how many vendors again i wanted to circle back to Cebu. like how many vendors how many people show up to this event um at least 500 i'm gonna say sure. I, I i don't have the official numbers sure. yeah but there are vendors like even key keg and uni keg um they've actually come over like the distributors and the partners as well because I think you just look over there right now, you see key kegs. Mm. With a lot of distribution in the US or countries that they distribute in-house, you use steel kegs. But with steel kegs, it's the moment you keg the beer, it starts carbonating, uh, right. oxidizing as well. Sure. You have three or four days and the beer goes a bit rancid or oxidizing, it turns brown. With key kegs, the CO2 does not touch the beer at all, it's from the outside atmosphere. But with this, there is a lot of wastage in terms of whatever is being used. So one of the talks um, that happened last year, it's more of a like, call to action. So KeyCag, UniCag, they really want to create a recyclable issue framework for Asia, especially more for like um, the bigger players for Hong Kong or for Vietnam. For Thailand, we import a lot so yes I think we really need to find out what can we do with all these kegs because from what I understand right now it's there's only a certain part of the keg that people really want out of it sure but everything else is like where does it go to right and it goes back to our uh, waste conversation mm. from earlier you know in our last episode or a couple episodes ago with uh, VJ. and so I mean things are obviously changing quite dramatically here do you yourself brew or have any intention to brew or do you like being on kind of the the, the broader spectrum I've tried it a couple of times yeah. and I froze my entire wart <laughs> really I knew froze from then, it I froze it like I came back drunk I took out the thermometer probe by accident and the entire 20 liter wart just froze oh Jesus so I am not going to brew I, I brewed um, and I'm sure there's a lot of home brewers at home and again this would have been Jesus the last time I did it would have been 1999 maybe 2000 I remember it was just before September 11 it might be the year before and uh, I had a couple of mildly successful beers mildly successful saying that like they were drinkable they they would 
personally. They would hit you. I wouldn't. I wasn't proud of them, and I wouldn't serve them to anyone but like myself and my roommate. But I had this idea because at the time, oh God, this was the late '90s. I'll tell. You, I'm gonna now date myself completely. So Pete's Wicked Ale was really popular around that time. But they did like a strawberry uh, wheat ale, I believe, at that time. And I really love strawberries, but I don't love wheat beers for the most part. Except I, I like it as an adjunct in, in like Belgian beers. Um, but I'm not a huge fan of like half and bisons. And, um, wheat just kind of brings a really weird uh, gym stock quality that I don't love. Um, and so we decided to brew a strawberry ale at home. And we did not, again, uh, as young dumbass beer drinkers didn't take into account the amount of sugar that we were adding in with the strawberries because we were using fresh strawberries and um, it fermented did well tested my original gravity my final gravity again if the I know I might be getting a little scientific for those of you that don't you know that don't brew beer at home or not a hobbyist but Anyhow, long story short, um, everything looked good. We thought we were good, thought fermentation was done, bottled everything up, put it in the closet to like, you know, naturally carbonate. And two days later, it sounded like grenades going off. And it was crazy. We were so afraid to open the door because every time you open the door, like a bottle exploded and just, and and because it was a strawberry ale, it was red. So it was like, it is like blood exploding all over the closet. Luckily, we didn't leave it like out in the living room. Like it was actually contained. But yeah, we uh, we made quite a mess, and I think that might have been the last time I brewed beer because I was like, "Wow, this is this is legit dangerous if you don't know what you're doing." You like, know? funny you talk about wheat beer as well, where actually wheat beer is the highest selling style of beer in Bangkok and really? in general, because like you said, um, it's a real fruity beer. It's S three bananas flavors. Right. Thai people really enjoy sweets. I mean, yeah, totally. You've had uh, maybe the roti with condensed. Oh my god, I love roti. Uh, even like the Thai iced tea where it just mm-hmm. spikes your sugar level right straight up. yeah. And same thing, like we just tried a blueberry sour as well. We did, yeah. And it was um it was interesting because it, it finished quite sweet, but mm-hmm. then like after the finish there was like this weird oxidized fruit um, note which because at first I didn't love it because of that sweetness, but yeah, it did finish. But you're right. A lot of uh, things that I've tasted have been quite sweet um even some of the uh like noodle dishes and things like that here so like i talked to the owners about the beer and why so uh with crop beer or even the flavors in general like we said thai people really like sweeting so they actually finished the beer with lactose so lactose is using crop beers a lot of the time because as a sugar as a powdering agent it doesn't ferment mm. So it helps to finish and round off the beer at the end of the day. Really? So that's I didn't actually realize that because I've been kind of disconnected from the craft beer movement for a long time. So we see milk stout all the time mm-hmm. in the U.S. And I think people, um, there's a big misperception that like it's a milk stout that has cream in it of some way. But it's actually um, just a, a lactose sugar. Yes. But it's not, it does not ferment though. It doesn't. So it just gives the body, but it doesn't boost the alcohol levels. Interesting. I didn't, and I learned something today. Like we've had so many stuff. Actually, I learned something on every episode, but like that one, I think is one of the most shocking for me because I just assumed because of the sugar that it would would be fermentable. Like we just had a milk stout from Pink Blossoms in Singapore. What's the ABV? Five point five percent. Oh wow! Really? So, like you've tried it, and you know, that was quite heavy. Yeah, like you get really, really rich. good coffee notes as well, caramel. Oh my god, the coffee was insane. I mean, it was almost like drinking al- al- alcoholic coffee. 
I've got it in my well, your glass. Or you just handed me your glass. Or like, but yeah, that's really beautiful. And and for that to be, I think you know, again, the perception is the darker the beer, the heavier the beer, the more alcoholic it is. And that's not necessarily the case. But but I didn't realize that lactose was playing such an important part uh, in, in that process. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, I wouldn't. So I mean, like, what Budweiser is what five and a half percent, five percent. I mean, it's not. And so that same thing, but you're like, it feels weighty. I mean, Guinness, is, there's that perception as well, right? Yes. It's dark, so it must be insanely alcoholic, and it's like 3% alcohol, you know? So, like with the whole, I mean, crop beer at the beginning was, everyone complained was really expensive, and it's really hard right. to get into. Right. But with the whole craft cocktails, or even natural wines, it's helped to build the perception and value as well for the products that we bring into any city be in Singapore or Hong Kong. So you think that the the craft scene and cocktails and and wine have helped the beer scene rather than vice versa? Um, I think we help each other. It's more of along the lines where cocktails actually a lot more accessible where right. um, people are more willing to hang That's out. funny because I in the US I think it would be the opposite and, and I could be wrong but I feel like because uh, we're a country of beer drinkers um, that that beer just seems it's it's less intimidating yeah. right you know like if you hate it you didn't invest all that much in a glass of beer you know mm-hmm. if you buy a bottle of bourbon and you hate it then you know you've, you guys got stuck with 25 ounces of you know 50 proof or 40 proof bourbon so I feel like in the, at least in the United States and, and perhaps maybe even the UK I'm not sure um, that it would be easier to like kind of break through and to educate about the craft movement through beer so that's interesting that I, you feel that it's the maybe perhaps the, the inverse in Thailand I, we believe um, with all the staff you know we empower them you know taste the beers and then at least you learn better that way right because how do you tell a difference between a west coast and an EIPA or if you don't try it and for Akamai we have 30 beers on tap at all times and we have 300 different beers in bottles and cans so it's very hard to that's so crazy I mean that's I mean that's I mean, it's, it's expected for a city this large, mm-hmm. but it's still mind-blowing the amount of offerings that you have. I didn't even look at the menu. I just let you choose for me because yeah, it was like a wine it. list, right? Like, just give me something, a salad. Because, you know, you go to a fancy restaurant and they hand you like a 95-page wine list. I'm not going to look at that. That's why there's a sommelier, <laughs> you know? So, like, that's why I look to you. I'm like, you you tell me what I need to drink. The omakase for beers. I should do that <laughs> right, exactly, right? Well, my buddy Dave, uh, and we did an episode with Dave, several um, shows back from Washington, D.C. Um, about, I think with the episode was called Epic Beer Cellaring with Dave Delaplane, and that's what he does. He sellers beer. And nothing that's too crazy or too hard to find, but, like, it just totally changes when you cellar it. And so there's, there's so much versatility in the beer world, right? Like, I mean, you've got so many different components where the hops are grown. There's all these kind of examples of terroir, um, de- depending on how you define terroir, you know, whether the, the, the brewer's hand, um, not literally, but like, the, you know, the brewer's influence on that, plus where the hops were grown, where the grain was grown. Uh, and then on top of that, you could age and you've got stylistically and it's, it's a really exciting world. And I was super into it in the 90s and the early 2000s. And I discovered rum and kind of like left everything behind. And so when I, when I met up with you a couple weeks ago, um, it just kind of reignited all of those old, like, nostalgic feelings that I had that got me into this business in the first place. Because without that, I don't think I would be doing what I do now. 
Like, I mean, obviously US, you know, with the craft brewery movement as well, like you're so big over there. And then slowly it gets over towards Asia or like the, even Australia. So you talk about terroir. So there's this brewery in Western Australia called Rocky Ridge. They grow their own hops, you know, they use water from Western Australia. So they try to be as much inclusive as possible as well. Right. We talk about hyper-local and all these kind of things, like 30 miles, 50 miles. I, it's good as a storyline, but are you, do you get enough products, you know, the best quality as well right, to make yeah. the best available product that you are capable of? It's definitely a deli- delicate balance. And, it, you know, as we wrap up here, you know, I, I wanted to say just a, a few things about this trip that I've had. And, and it's exactly what you just said, this hyper-locality. And that's the one thing I think that I've been the most impressed about is that there's a very... Um, there's a conscious awareness of, you know, the number of people living in these cities and how much waste is created. And also um, a beginning of uh, pride of identity. And we talked about that a little bit before. Um, actually, when I was in Hanoi, you know, um, we I, I actually I'm bringing back a couple of different rums and a gin that are produced exclusively in northern Vietnam not available anywhere else and they're not inexpensive they were not just like cheap moonshine although I did have some moonshine in Vietnam it was it was definitely rice moonshine but you did talk about very expensive rum you had in that was yeah well well, it was the uh, gin yeah and and then here as well you know and so it's the it's the hyper locality I think that is what I've been most impressed with is that when you drink in Thailand uh, it feels like Thailand the ingredients that you're getting are Thai, whether it be a, through a beer or a drink or a spirit, like it was produced here, it was produced by local people. It's just, as I think with all things, it's a matter of convincing people that they should be proud of the things that, that they already have. And we'd not look to someone else. I mean, I'm in Indianapolis and you know, for a long time we always, and even still really, we feel like we live in Chicago's shadow. Like, that's the big city, huge city, and we try to emulate, or did for a long time, try to emulate. And I think now you're starting to see a lot of us restaurant owners and bar owners be like, well, why do we have to be them? We can just be us. And so Johnny Walker being the number one seller here in in, in, uh, Asia, you know, seeing people risking investment to produce craft beer here instead of just, you know, trying to import, you know, whatever. I, I, that I think has really defined this trip for me, uh, as far as, as you know what's happening in the scene is that there's a people are starting to really get plugged in. Thailand felt like Thailand. Vietnam felt like Vietnam. You know, you know when you go to you know France and you drink, you know, uh, drink craft beer. I mean, it feels just like Europe. You know, you you don't necessarily feel like it's French. Uh, no offense to the French. Um, I'll also be remiss though. If I don't mention, because you do work for McKellar, is that one of our most popular craft breweries in Indiana, where I'm from, uh, has partnered quite extensively with McKellar, uh, and that would be Three Floyds. Yes, we do have a couple of bottles hanging around as well. The yeah. Formats. So lots of cool stuff. And we, we, we carry some of that stuff over at, uh, at Black Market as well. And uh, Three Floyds is kind of one of those really highly sought after brews. When people come from the West Coast of the United States over to where I live, they want to trade trade beers so they can get, you know, their... 
Well, the trading of beers is another conversation altogether. Yeah. Oh, totally. So, is that does that happen here? Is there like the collectability that people are kind of trading to, um, to be able to try? The industries um, with the group chats that I've been in in Bangkok, actually, people are more inclined to share. Yeah. So they buy a couple bottles and they ship it, or they import it, or they bring it hand carry themselves. That's cool. And they. They rather do a party and hang out with each other, and everyone brings beers together. That's awesome. I like we've seen tradings in in the U.S. where Anchorage, Alaska, right. sells a bloody can for sixty dollars. I know, I know, man, it's crazy. Yeah, it's it's well, there's definitely that communal nature here um, because it is a quite crowded city. Um, in Bangkok and, and where you're from in Singapore and so yeah I mean, you kind of like the communal nature of it is what I do love I also love the fact that you guys are all online so and it, um, I guess I, I have to explain for Westerners because it's really a, a Thai thing not even used really so much outside of Thailand but um, I guess WhatsApp is really popular in, in, in Europe um, but or WeChat in China but Line is the app that is used quite a lot uh, in, in, in Thailand, and then you also have in, in Singapore as well. And so I found out recently that effectively all of the bar people have like a group, and you all communicate with one another like on these chat rooms. Yes. I mean, it's effectively like a, a 21st century chat room. <laughs> so um, Ronan has uh, talked about this in Singapore, where there's a Singapore WhatsApp group chat. The problem with WhatsApp is it limits the number of people in the chat. Oh, so shit. <laughs> I actually just got kicked out of the chat <laughs> because... Because you a, moved. Yeah, I moved and my wife got invited in. I was like... Oh, she got invited and <laughs> you got kicked out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but for Bangkok, it's the same where there is a bartenders group chat, like 300 over different people. And, you know, you learn about events, you learn about industry nights. It, it's obviously more skewed towards the cocktail rum sure. industry as well. And for me, um, I got invited in a couple of months back, and someone, um, Susan, Thailand. Susan, yeah, the Thailand one, um, Susan from Hair the Dog as well. So from our part, we really want to kind of push craft beer to the masses and even to the industry because a lot of the bars, they they don't really care much about craft beer. Yeah, that's what I was gonna like mention before we finished here today was that like I love what you're doing and you go to McKellar and they have you know you guys have three four hundred options and you uh, or McKellar Ari or a, a handful of other places. Uh, there was what a uh, 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 bottle. Uh, uh, we have a tasting room as well. So the back where you saw like the oh that's right yeah you have the retail cellar part. temperatures and people can that actually was shop amazing around. they like you can go so far as to serving at a cellar temperature but you know it's like kind of the everyday run of the mill as as you would find in any country if you go into your kind of your local tavern um, it's not quite so easy to find a lot of those so how. What do you see for the future to like push that awareness out to be able to when I come in to Sapang Kwai, for example, and I want to go to the local pub and I want to have maybe not necessarily McKellar, but if like they've got something that was brewed by a local brewer, like, you know, how, how does that get accomplished? In for distribution at all places in general, like people are really price sensitive. But also there are owners and founders of um, different bars and restaurants that they've started to realize that. Chang and Singha is not the way to go anymore. 
Mm. So mm. they are willing to forego. Yeah, it's Johnny Walker instead. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> you know, they're willing to forego like the money taken from these bigger companies mm. and offer like one or two different crafts from the distribution angle. You know, for Mikkeler or for Bivano or for anyone else out there, what our mission is to give them the proper training and the machines as well to fully co-chain the beers. Because you go to a lot of bars and they put the kegs right beside the kegerator, which right. is blowing hot air yes. at the keg. And that destroys the beer within two weeks or even four days. So with more training and then with more machines and equipments being provided to the bars around Thailand or even to Asia, it helps. But at the end game, it's as a business owner for you, you know it's about the margins. Right. Well, it's it's the delicate balance, right? Like there's the doing the right thing. And then, of course, you know, we have to pay the bills. We have to pay for everybody. And I've always kind of sided on this of the, well, I ended up on the side of trying to do the right thing so that people had the quality products but yeah the older I get the, the and the harder it gets to pay my bills the more I'm like maybe I just need to start selling more Miller Lite um, you know so it, it is hard to educate uh, and especially you know um, we're in a culture where it, it has been quite I mean we're so I've gone out numerous times with um, kind of the local crew um, that are like family members or friends of family members and like where Johnny Walker is that premium product and like even like Singha's the the kind of expensive beer they're they're drinking Leo or Leo mm-hmm. but you know I've, I've say, say the Thai way now like Leo but you know and, and that's quite cheap and like because they they don't even want to spend the money for like you know 20 more baht which is like 75 cents American to have that next level up of quality and so you know, the price difference between that and what you're selling is, is quite, there's a big disparity. So I just, it seems like the education process could take a while, but then again, I mean, I guess, you know, 20 years ago, no one was drinking anything in the US other than Bud or Bud Light either. Exactly, and like with craft beer, you know, it's not just bars and restaurants anymore. We are in hotels and- Right. Oh, that's like, huge. So, so like we've done um, actually beers for W Hotel and Mandarin Oriental, and this is in Thailand. So this is something that we are approachable and craft beer. You know, there are a lot of white labels, so the same beers but different labels at the front sure. of it. But we don't want to do that. We for Mikkeler in general, it's like we want to partner with people who believe in it the philosophy and the flavors and the profiles it's interesting that it almost seems like I mean this has become a McKellar town like you guys are like writing the rules right I mean if you're doing beers for W Hotel and all that like that's a good way to like kind of control the conversation I and wouldn't say um, for Mikkeler we are the only ones who are doing it so this was actually a conversation that happened at Seabrew last week where a lot of big uh, U.S. breweries now, they have started collaborating and making conceptualized beers and white labels for Asia and Thailand. Mm. Because with the U.S. especially, like the market is shrinking a lot. Or big breweries are right, being bought yeah. out by right. AB InBev and a few other people as well. So for the more the independent breweries or the larger ones especially, they, is like, they want to do something special and different for the market over here. So there are beers that are out there like Whale Pale Ale. Um, I 
I'm not gonna say who brewed them because I can't remember, but it's one of the bigger breweries in the US where they see the market over here now. So like, you know, for Mikkeler and Hop Session, the company that works together for us, we, we bring in small batches, but there are bigger companies where they bring in two container loads of beers over to Thailand and sell it within a month. Mm. So it's different beers, different concepts. Um, every single restaurant, they have a different margin to work with. Sure. So it's whatever beers or ciders or supplies that you have and they want. It's always the game of demand and supply as well. Things are happening, folks. And, you know, I, I know you've got a busy day in front of you. Mm. I do as well. I, I actually have to prepare to go back to the United States, which I really don't want to. I would just love to, like, disappear into Bangkok for the next 25 years. We'll welcome um, you back. Yeah. Before I go, though, man, um, I try to remember to ask everybody, you know, uh, if you have any hangover cures or if you're or, or, or maybe you're too young to even have hangovers. I don't know. You're getting up there now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Any, are there any fun hangover cures you have that we should like let our listeners know about? I actually I'm going to say this. I'm drinking craft beer and natural wines. Yeah. I have not had a hangover ever since I shifted to Bangkok. Really? Because so you used to before. I, I used to have really bad ones where yeah you do you do shots or you drink, sure you're out at four o'clock in the morning drinking Guinness at Carlsberg where people they had they had, <laughs> you were taking it a lot easier at four o'clock in the morning than I was. <laughs> We were doing shots of Mekong. <laughs> like they, they had adjuncts or even with wines, you know, they have sulfates and all that kind of things as well. Right, 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 but right. But with right. craft beers and natural wines, there's nothing like this. I wake up drunk, but I don't wake up hungover. Sure. So, yeah. Well, drunk's better than hungover, that's it, for sure. It drunk. is, really. Yeah. But for, for hangover cures, my wife makes an amazing chicken soup. Ooh. So. Yeah, I, so like I have found that myself. And so I... I, I I think one time during the course of the last three years, I, I mentioned my hangover cure, and uh, it's changing now, and I think Bangkok. Bangkok is my hangover cure. First off, it's blazing hot here, so you're going to sweat off the hangover within 15 minutes of walking outside anyway. Literally just walk from one neighborhood to the next, 20-minute walk. That'll kill it right there. And there's... At least 25 vendors that'll sell you coconuts on the way, Very and that that coconut water will just uh, kind of knock it right out if the sweat doesn't. And uh, if if all that fails, um, go to the temples <laughs> and pray. There's lots of temples. Just be like, please take the pain from my head. <laughs> Boom. Sylvester, thank you so much for meeting with me. And, dude, honestly, like, I, there aren't enough words that I can uh, say to you and to all the rest of the family here in Bangkok that has, like, treated me well. Um, I'm going to have to take a minute to at least give shout-outs here on the air because not everybody got to make it onto the podcast. But uh, find the locker room. Uh, you know, find the photo booth. They've been fantastic. We had Sebastian on the show already. So, of course, any of our previous podcast guests as well. Um, gosh, I'm going to forget so many people. Um, but, you know, we've, this is a really happening scene here. I also wanted to give a shout out uh, to Kong at, um, at the Gen Bar in Hanoi. Jesus, I'm, I'm blanking on the name. Uh, uh, botanist. Um, so, like, Botanist Gen, but uh, he, 
Kong really took me around, helped me out. Uh, Longer Than Summer is the kind of a really cool little speakeasy in Hanoi. And so, like, there's just so much going on in Asia, folks. And, I, you know, it's hidden. The speakeasy has been turned up to 11 in uh, Bangkok and Hanoi, at least in my experience. So a little bit easier to find in Singapore, a, l- a lot harder to find in Bangkok, and good fucking luck in Hanoi. Um, I, it's almost like they don't even want you to come. But, you know, um, I've had a really great time, and I can't wait to come back to Asia. And Sylvester, dude, you um, you have an, an like unlimited invitation to the United States, and like if there's anything I could ever do for you, you know, reach back out to me. Thank you. Thanks for hanging out with us as well in Bangkok. Hey, cheers, brother. Cheers. Cheers.